and from Race of the One Line of the One Light, weekly commentaries on the Gita and the Bible by Swami Kriyananda. The in surrender lies victory. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. A case might be made to, for surrender as a path of victory in worldly conflicts. The way of passive resistance, for example, in prefer to armed resistance. But our point here concerns a higher kind of surrender, the surrender of our deluded egoic will to the wise and almighty will of God. Human will is, as Paramahansa Yogananda used to say, guided by whims and limited understanding. The divine will is in harmony with every level of reality. Though the divine will sometimes appears to us at first to be wrong, it proves always eventually to be for our highest good. Human will is consistent. It leads us one day to success. It's inconsistent. It leads us one day to success, another to disaster. The divine will, when we surrender to it completely, though it's not always easy to do, always brings us deeper inner peace and joy in the end. Jesus Christ demonstrated the perfect surrender to God's will in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before he was captured and imprisoned, preparatory to his crucifixion, he went apart from the others to pray and asked them to pray also, but when he returned to them, he found them asleep. Out of his love from them, he excused them, saying, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He then urged them again, saying, watch and pray. Their weakness in those circumstances was particularly sad, and the, prince, the disciples themselves must have regretted it bitterly later on. We all know the symptoms of human weakness, though we may excuse them in ourselves, saying, well, after all, I am only human. But what are the signs of true strength? we find in all cases that these are the fruit of a life holy, holy surrender to God. The Bhagavad Gita listens these signs in the 13th chapter. Humbleness, truthful, truthfulness, and harmlessness, patience and honor, reverence for the wise, purity, constancy, control of self, contempt for the senses, delights, self-sacrifice, perception, of the certainty of ill in birth, old age, and frail mortality, disease, the ego suffering, and sin. Detachment, lightly holding thoughts of home, children, and wife, those ties which bind most, the, most men, and even tranquility heart, heedless, heedless of good or adverse fortune, with a will and praise to worship me alone unceasingly, Lovingly deep solitude and shining noise of foolish crowds come focus on the self, perceive within, in, within and in infinity. These qualities reveal true wisdom, Prince. All that is otherwise is ignorance. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, oh.
morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to our Sunday service. My name is Atman. This is my wife, Bhakti Marg. It's our pleasure to share a service with you. Especially want to welcome those who are here with visit as visitors or guests for the <coughs> Change Your Brain program or the Magic of Art or especially the group from Encinitas that's here with us for the weekend. So welcome. I'd like to continue with a reading from Whispers from Eternity, Prayer Demands by Paramahansa Yogananda. <clears throat> this is the demand for the enjoyment of everything with the joy of God. O Spirit, teach me to enjoy thee in spirit, that I may enjoy the world and my earthly duties with thy joy. O Spirit, help me to train my senses, that they enjoy only good things. Teach me to enjoy earthly pleasures with thy joy. Save me above all from the slightest touch of negativity, doubt, and cynicism. So in the reading, we're touch on the great drama, that great poignant story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was the night before his crucifixion, the day after his triumphant entrance into Jerusalem with crowds proclaiming him the Messiah, the new king, a great jubilance and joy, only to be followed by a great tragedy. And here he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying. And the great lesson of this story is thy will, not my will. But Jesus was, a, we have to remember, was an avatar. He was a great master. He's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. He knew the script. He knew what was coming. He was here just not to do anything to work something out. I mean, it'd be a great release of karma to go through that for someone. But he was already free. He was just doing what God's will was supposed to be doing, just playing out the story. He could have easily changed things if he wanted to. After all, he was a master. And, you know, we, we know from reading the biography that masters can exemplify great power when it's the will of God. And, you know, he could have easily disappeared if he wanted to. He could have transported his body somewhere else and not been there. He could have easily repelled the soldiers. I mean, there's that story of master when someone came to Mount Washington to try to beat him up. He said, you know, false prophet, I'm going to show you. And master said, I warn you, I'm very powerful. Don't cross this line. And, and then master said, and divine mother said, let him have it. And at that point, he, <laughs> he, he transferred some energy into that man's body. And suddenly his body was on fire. And he ran outside rolling in the grass and was in great pain, which was only relieved when the master touched him. So I mean, Jesus could have easily done that with a, with a hand. He could have repelled the, the Roman legions. But he was just playing out the story. And the story, for whatever reason, in God's great plan, the, the ways of the Lord are mysterious. But it was to create this great drama, which would bring a people to a higher consciousness, which could create a whole movement, which would move people up towards the teachings, up toward embracing God. And this was his part. And he knew it, and he played it, and he left us with that story of thy will. If this cup passed from me, so be it, but it's thy will, not my will. So this reading exhorts us to say, let's always try to live with God's will. Let's try to always know what is the highest. But how do we do that? We're not avatars. We don't have the whole script. We're not so in touch with the divine playwright. We don't really know what the next chapter is. 
sometimes we don't even know what's going on right now. <laughs> it's tough to figure out. And you know, sometimes we think, we hear in the teachings, well, okay, I'll go into calm, silent meditation, and that after-effect poise of meditation, I'll hold up what I'm trying to do. Is this God's will? Guide me. What's the right direction? That's a wonderful practice. But if we're striving to look for God's will in everything, that's not so easy to do. You can't always just sort of say, okay, oatmeal or granola. God, I need to sort of... (laughs) Or somebody, you know, things happen. Life happens. There's someone walking towards you. And, okay, last time our interaction wasn't so good. So this time I need to do a little better. And God's will would say, no, I need to do this. But then the person's over there by the time (laughs) you, you figure out what God's will is supposed to be in this interaction. So... How do we do this? How do we live more in God's will in a way that we can really put this into effect in everything? Well, one way to figure out how to do that is to look at those who are a little bit more advanced in the path, a little bit higher consciousness, not necessarily all the way to the avatars, but let's look, for example, at Swami Kriyananda. Swami Kriyananda lived in that divine flow and that will through years of practice, of self-surrender, of discipleship to his guru, Yogananda, he was always in that flow of knowing what to do. Part of it was a conscious asking of a, just a background, what's your will, what do you want me to do, master, what should I do? But part of it was just being in that energy. And there's many, many stories that, uh, of him just probably not taking a lot of time and being a lot of conscious and a lot of rational thought about it, but just being there with God's will. I mean, I love reading the book that... Uh, Asha edited in in Swami Kriyananda as we have known him. And there's story after story in there of just how Swami would say something to somebody just on passing that went right to what that person was doing or even cases of healing. He was at just a gathering at the Crystal Hermitage and he would come up behind someone and just put his arm on him and, you know, somehow sending energy and acting as a channel for God's will and actually was able to cure Uh, a hurt or a long-standing pain that that person had suffered. And Kriyananda just, he lived in that flow. And it was, the important example is that it's, that divine will, it's an energy, it's a flow. We're in the age of Dwapara Yuga. And when we're, when we can get into that higher consciousness, that higher flow, we're automatically doing what's God's will. It's not something that's greatly mysterious or hard to, figure out when, when we're in that, when we're closer to that oneness, which is the underlying factor, the underlying base of the universe, that is God's will. We're doing that. And as it says in the Gita, all the qualities of the wise men, the steadfastness, the honestness, harmlessness, the lack of interest in sense pleasures, all that just comes. It's not something that you have to work and strive for each one of those. It's in that larger flow. And so our job, of course, is to move upward into that flow. But we also have to be realistic. As it says in the readings, sometimes the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we have to recognize that there is another side to this. And it's not going to be wished away by the mere affirmation that it's not there. It is there. And we have to realize, we have to remember, where have we come from? We've come through millions of incarnations of gradually moving upward. And in those millions of incarnations, what was foremost? The foremost 
was that more downward pull, more of a sense of survival, a sense of procreation, a sense of modifying or being in the world in a way that would assure, ensure our survival. And those tendencies, those samskars, those vortices of energy are still there. They're in our subconscious mind. We're not necessarily conscious of them, but there is a pull there that we have to be very much aware of. And there's, it's, uh, as the French saying is, la nostalgie de la boue. It's the nostalgia for the mud. Sometimes we want to go back to sleep. We like it down there in those things. It sort of feels comfortable. And of course, this is exactly what the spiritual path is. This is the, the difference between there's an upward tendency, an upward pull, and there's also this sense of we're moving downward, that there's a pull back down, something of holiness and inertia, a tamasic uh, guna versus the sattvic guna. And, what do we do with that? We're, we're stuck in the middle. And how does this get back to God's will? Well, of course, to know God's will, we want to move upward. And we need to get rid of what's down below us. And this is every technique on our path, every technique in the spiritual path that we've been given is designed to do this. The energization exercises. Let's start with the most basic. What are we doing? We're trying to raise energy. We're trying to move that upward. And believe it or not, that can help us know God's will because energy is moving upward. Meditation, what do we do in meditation? We try to withdraw from all that material, all those things, the ego consciousness, that separation, all those problems. We try to bring that upward in meditation, especially in Kriya. It's a very important technique, bringing the energy up in Kriya. And this is, it's very, very important to keep in mind that this is what we're doing. We're letting go of this bondage of ego consciousness and we're moving upwards. And it's a little, when we talk about in this reading, it's, it's surrender to divine, to the divine will. And I don't know, I didn't, I don't resonate so much with that image because when you surrender to something, it feels like, you know, you give up your arms, you're put in handcuffs, you're stuck in a jail. And that's not the surrender. What we're trying to surrender is we're trying to surrender ego consciousness. We're trying to get rid of it. We're trying to put it in the cell and get it out of there, put the handcuffs on the ego consciousness and move upward into it. So it's not so much of a surrender as a, a, a leaving behind and a moving upward. And there's a very, very important practice in this that often comes up when we talk about knowing God's will. And I want to tune into a little bit of that today. And that's the, the principle of saying yes to life. And it's a technique. It's a part of our spiritual practice. It's a very fundamental thing that we do. It's embracing that positive attitude, embracing the rising consciousness and leaving behind the no-saying principle, the, the consciousness that's, that's pulling us down. And when we, there's, some, there's a lot of misunderstanding about say yes to life and the inquiring mind comes up with a lot of questions about how does this actually work and how do I do this and isn't this a little Pollyanna and is it passive acceptance or how do I do this? So I want to talk a little bit about that because it's, it's fundamental to this, this tension of, of upward to God's will versus leaving behind the ego desires and ego's will. And what we want to do is to be able to embrace this flowing upward, this thing. But it's not, 
one could easily say, I'm going to do that by negating all of life, of everything in this world. And there's certainly practices, there's saints and sadhus who follow this, a neti neti, not this, not that, just pushing everything aside. I don't want that. I don't want to have anything to do with this. This isn't what I'm looking for. And a part of that's necessary, but that isn't really the path that Master gave us. And Swami tells the story of meeting a, a sadhu in Puri, India, and he was a 132-year-old Naga sadhu, which is Naga. He wore no clothes, had no possessions, no attachment. And he was having a discussion with Swami, and he said to Swami, you shouldn't even enjoy the least little thing in this world. You shouldn't even enjoy a sunset. You shouldn't have anything to do with the, what's the world. And that didn't strike Swami as quite right. That wasn't Master's way. Master, Paramahansa Yogananda, uh, Swami's guru, our guru, was one who embraced life and all, everything. He was, he was just filled with great joy, and he was just in the world, but not necessarily of the world. And it was that sense of embracing everything, but embracing it without any attachment. And where the downward pull comes in is when we start experiencing things from the ego consciousness, when it relates back to the ego, to this bundle of definitions to this sense of I, I like this. This is really nice. I am doing this. This is a great sunset that I am watching. No, it's putting it back out to the, to the, to the broad, to the oneness. God, this is a wonderful sunset that we're doing, that we're experiencing here together. It's not a liking or disliking. It's not a bad or a good. It just simply is. And I'm in that flow, and it reminds me of God, and I'm enjoying that flow. And there was a story of uh, Yogananda, one of the ways he exemplified these things, that he was in New York City and he bought a ticket to go into Radio City Music Hall, which is, a, especially in the 1930s or 20s when he was there, was an incredibly grand concert venue with sculptures and decorations and wonderful curtains and lighting and a beautiful lobby. And, and he walked in there and said, this place is mine. And he just walked around for about an hour and he enjoyed it all. And he saw all the beautiful decorations and he could hear the music and see the wonderful things that happened here. And then he handed his ticket back and walked out and said, okay, I turn it back. I'm done. And that's the spirit of, of what we're looking for in this world. We're not pulling things to ourselves. We're not trying to say, I want this or I'm doing this. It's let it go. Experience it with the joy of God, with that oneness of God. And it's, it's important, again, to think of when we're saying yes to life. There was a very, a very key phrase that I came across that Swami said. It said, it's much more important to look at where you're saying yes from than what you're saying yes to. It's more important where you're saying yes from than what you're saying yes to. So it's not about the external. It's not about what's coming to you. It's about where you are receiving it. And are you going downward into ego consciousness, into the lower chakras, into this movement of energy, into the preoccupations, the anger, fear, greed, hatred, jealousy, lust? Those are all qualities of the lower chakras that say there's an I that's separate from what's coming to me and I have to protect myself or I have to have put up these negative emotions. I have to get angry at something. I have to 
be jealous of something. I have to be fearful of something because it's not me, because I'm not in that flow. Whereas the other part of it is, if you are in this divine flow, if you're experiencing this oneness, then whatever comes, it comes. It's all part of God. You don't have to judge it. You don't have to say this shouldn't be happening to me. It's just coming. It's just accepting it. As that. Now, does that mean that you have to just accept it passively? Because there's all the responsible people in this room are going, but wait a minute. There's things that I have to do because I have to affect this because not everything is good. And there's things that I have to react to this. And that's true. That may be true. There is a place for looking at what's happening, seeing what your role is in doing it, where you're going to affect that. But it's not the initial thing. The initial thing needs to be, I'm lifting up, I'm accepting the flow of energy as God's grace, as God's will that's coming to me. Because what happens? As soon as you meet the energy that's coming with, I don't like this, this shouldn't be, this isn't happening to me, this is really bad, I can't possibly deal with this, what happens? Energy is going down. Once your energy is flowing in that lower pole, what happens? Can you find solutions? Can you be joyful? Can you be happy? No, you're in a vortex that attracts to it all those negative qualities. It doesn't attract to it those wonderful things the Bhagavad Gita was talking to it. It attracts to it anger, fear, greed, hatred, jealousy, lust. That's all down there. And it stops cold, the energy. It stops you from dealing what's coming with what's coming. So saying yes to life doesn't mean being passively accepting of everything, but it means meeting it first with that higher energy saying, this is coming from God. I am going to try to tune into God's will. Master, God, what are we going to do here? What's happening? So my service in the, in the village here is this village manager. And it's sort of a buck stops here kind of a job. So I get... <laughs> I get lots of opportunities to practice <laughs> these kinds of things, and I try, and I'm by no means perfect at it, which is probably why I'm still doing this job after so many years. <laughs> but I get all these opportunities to try. And so just to, you know, let's take an average day in the life of Atman at the village. <laughs> village. So somebody calls me up and said, Atman, there's a bear trying to come in my window. It's, <laughs> it's got its paws in it. It's getting my thing. What do I do? I said, Oh, just say yes to life. It's fine. <laughs> it's obviously God's will that this bear is coming into your, into your, your house. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, that may not be exactly the right thing. So what else do I say? Do I go, oh, my God, another errant animal is attacking us. We have all these problems in the village. We got the turkeys. We got the bears. We got this. I, I, don't, I don't know how I could possibly deal with this. Call fishing game. <laughs> that may not be the right way to do it either, deal with it either. So what is the right way? It's, okay, this is happening. We got a bear coming in somebody's window. What do I do? I try to be in that, that higher consciousness. I try to say, okay, how are you doing? Are you in danger? What's happening? Uh, empathy for them. And then we sort of start looking for okay, this is here, it's happening. What are our solutions? What are our options? What do we can do with this? And the more I can do that with a calm and centered initiative, the much better it's going to come out. If I descend into this, this isn't happening mode, it's not going to help the person with the bear in their window very often, very much. Or another example, you could have 
the, the county calls me up and says, uh, you know, you don't, have pub, you don't have access out on Sages Road, and that's going to mean that your whole fire plan that you're predicating your whole master plan on isn't going to work, and we need to change these things. And I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. It's a statute. It's an ordinance here. So what's my reaction? Okay, no problem. It's God's will say yes to life. There it is. Guess there's no more master plan. You know, it's over. <laughs> no, that's not quite it. Or do I say, oh, these dang bureaucrats, these overpaid, petty <laughs> things. Why are they doing this to us? They don't understand anything. They're getting in the way of master's mission. They are just like, this is ridiculous. This can't be. I'm going to get them taken out of office. I'm going to call my supervisor. <laughs> that may not be it either. But it's, okay, master, what's going on? What are our options here? What's trying to happen? This is obviously an energy that's coming. What is it that is going to allow us to do? might allow us to make more connections with our neighbors. It might allow us to look for a different way. It might allow us to go back and speak to all these people in the county with a nice, open, loving, friendly manner that will help them to help us find the solution. Because, okay, you may, your ordinance says that, but there's obviously a solution here. I mean, let's look for what the solution is. And we're still looking right now, but <laughs> <laughs> there is a solution coming. There is something that, that can be done about this thing. And so it's... Again, it's important not so much that you should just let roll over passively. Whatever happens, okay, it's all God, it's all Ram. But it's accept that initial wave of energy, the initial thing that's coming to you with a yes attitude. Say, yes, this is happening. There's supposed to be something I'm learning here. This is coming from God. This is part of God's will. My job is to stay in this higher consciousness, to tune into that flow, just tune into what is trying to happen here? What is God's perception? And it takes, it takes a certain amount of courage to do this because like we had, we have that, it's kind of comfortable down there in the mud and it kind of feels good sometimes to be angry. And sometimes you just have to jump in. And I was reminded of this, um, something that happened to me in my childhood or when I was a, a teenager. I grew up in New York State and with the Boy Scouts, we used to go, canoeing on the Delaware River pretty often. And it was, it's in open canoes. It's a pretty easy river to canoe on. But, you know, we were fairly young and not all that skilled in canoeing sometimes. And there was this one place called Skinner's Falls. And this was, I don't know what class rapids it was. It wasn't that big, but it was a rapids. I mean, there was white water, there were rocks. You could get hurt if you didn't know what you were doing and you could fall out of your canoe. And, you know, it caused some trepidation for us. So, We'd get up to Skinner's Falls, and we'd get out of the canoes, and we'd sort of look on the sides. And, and there were two different approaches to going through Skinner's Falls. And the first approach I took when I first time I went there was, I'm not so sure about this. I better, you know, let's, let's take, see if we can find the easy way here. I said, all right, now if I go down the side here, and I can get in here, and I can stay out of the main flow of the channel, and then I'll just sort of sneak by. And the other way, of course, was to just get right in the middle where most of the water was flowing, which is actually, once you're in it, the easiest way to get through there because the water would carry you down over the rapids and through the rocks. But I chose to go the sideway, and what happened? I got caught in eddies, the canoe would get turned around, we got beached up on rocks, we'd have to pull out, we'd have to walk partway down. It really wasn't that much fun. And I saw these other people right through the middle. So the lesson, of course, is jump into the flow. You're trying to get into that 
divine flow. You're trying to get where that energy is. It means kind of sometimes taking a leap. It means jumping out of what you're trying to leave behind there. And if we can do that, if we can focus on the highest, if you can do all your techniques, if you can always be looking up, if you can be aware of that subconscious pull, then you'll be able to see God's will in everything.